Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride on this final day of the work week. And, you know, for a lot of people, this is kind of the end of the first real work week that we've had in a long time, where maybe you're going back to the office, maybe things feel a little bit more normal. For many people, it still is kind of like Groundhog Day, can't remember what day it is. Uh, without actually looking at the uh, calendar on your phone or your uh, your computer. So wherever you fall in that spectrum, it's Friday. Hopefully you don't have to work tomorrow or Sunday and you get a little time to uh, chill out. Maybe the weather's going to cooperate and be really, really nice this weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi, C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395 at C Spire. They're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19, this ongoing disaster, this global pandemic, but uh, not just then, also every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Two warm chocolate chip cookies down the hatch minutes before we come on the air. I am loaded. I feel like I got the go juice. What's up, guys? Was that your uh, your excuse for having those two? Was that you needed some go juice before the show? No, my wife texted me a picture from downstairs with a pan full of chocolate chip cookies, and I came down and said, I don't know if that was an invitation or not, but where are the cookies? <laughs> <laughs> she, she scooped a couple on the plate. They were still warm and still gooey and uh, mm, yummy. Yummy. Hey, Dad, what's up? I'd, I'd like some chocolate chip cookies. We need to, we need to see. Now, now you got them on my brain. I'm Hour and get 47 minutes, you can be in my driveway from your house. I mean, you know, I, I could just stay on the phone the whole time. We can make this work. Yeah. Rippy, what's shaking? Not a whole lot. Played some golf this morning. Didn't eat any cookies, but hanging out. There you go. Um, I hope you guys don't mind this, but I'd like to go a little inside baseball as we uh, we get started this afternoon. Um, Prefer that over outside baseball, but that's just me. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So let's talk about reporting for a second. We don't generally do a ton of breaking news stuff on Sports Talk Mississippi. But when big things are happening... We work to get accurate information. If we happen to be first, that's great. Uh, when it comes to coaching searches and coaching hires, I feel like we've done a pretty good job covering those things, and that's when you know everybody wants information, but you've got to make sure you're right. Uh, I think back to when Ole Miss hired, uh, I guess it was Dave Doran, 
Rippy, you and I were working on that story, but we pressed pause just a second to confirm to make sure it was right, and it probably cost us being first by 30 seconds or so. Maybe that it was, was a couple uh, minutes. That was McIntyre. I, uh, okay. I was not employed by this fine company when Dave Doran was almost hired. There's no almost about it. No, no, no. no. I'm not. <laughs> not even that that matters. Your point Jeez. is still well. Just Mike McIntyre is who I was talking sake. about. Yes, thank you. Um, we were first or very close to first in terms of officially getting the details on Lane Kiffin when he was hired. Unless you ask um, Bruce Feldman. Say what? Unless you ask Bruce Feldman. <laughs> oh well, fair <laughs> enough. Sorry, still bitter. Uh, Haydad and I have had conversations when Mississippi State was going through its coaching search process, and I passed along some information to him, and he passed along some information to me, and we kind of went back and forth on, is this accurate? And I, I, Haydad, I know you remember the text chain. I was in Nashville. I just yeah. walked into a hotel room, and I said to you, if I pass information along to you, it is, as I believe, 100% accurate. Right. And you said, okay, we're on the same page because you're not willing to attach your name to anything just to be first. Under no circumstances. There you go. So, I say all of that to say that's how we try to approach news. Now, when we're speculating and whatever during the show, that's a different deal. But if we are quote-unquote reporting something, I'm not, I don't dare say we're going to be 100% because a lot of times with big news you got dynamic situations, and things change. But we're really, really close in terms of accuracy if we report something major. I say all that to say that it's pretty clear that not everybody operates that way. You may have seen the story circulating in the last 12 to 24 hours that originated with Kentucky Sports Radio. And by the way, Matt Jones and those guys do a really good job. They've built an incredible brand. Uh, they branded a restaurant out of it. Um, they, they, just, they do good work. And it's a massive, massive entity in the state of Kentucky. But they could not be more wrong with the story that they reported last night. I missed all this, so I'm excited to hear. Yeah, I don't know what The this report is. was 13 of the 14 athletics directors in the SEC supported players returning on June 1st, and Phil Fulmer was the lone dissenting voice. Their story says Thursday. Well, actually, okay, so it was originally put out by Kentucky Sports Radio, and here's how the whole media thing works. It got aggregated. And so College Football Talk, which is a division of NBC Sports, aggregates the story. They stick a couple of quotes in there. They add some stuff themselves and then kind of claim it as their own to get clicks. The original Kentucky Sports Radio story said this. The vast majority of the athletic directors supported allowing players to return to campuses on June 1. However, one athletic director spoke out against it, arguing that the ban should be in place indefinitely. Tennessee's Phil Fulmer. After discussing it with the group, Fulmer proposed the date of June 15th, but many believed that was too late for players to be ready to start the season on schedule. From there, the discussion was tabled for next week. They go on to say the final decision will be up to university presidents and chancellors on May 22nd. But the league's athletic directors want to present a unified front. Had Fulmer not spoken up, the assumption is the group 
would have given the presidents a unanimous recommendation to lift the restrictions to allow players to return to campuses June 1, with a vote possibly taking place earlier than May 22nd. We'll find out what will happen for sure one week from today. There is almost nothing in that story which has been retweeted hundreds and hundreds of times and commented on 150 to 200 times from the original tweet from Kentucky Sports Radio. There is almost nothing in those two paragraphs that is accurate. Phil Fulmer was not a lone dissenting voice on that call. There was not a formal vote where 13 athletics directors said, June 1st is the day, and Phil Fulmer said, absolutely not. It is, at best, a mischaracterization, and at worst, a completely fabricated story. That's how one person described it to me. A second person described it to me as, quote, totally inaccurate. And I had a third person that I simply asked the question, I'm led to believe that this is at best a mischaracterization, but mostly just inaccurate. Is it fair to say, when we talk about this today, that the report is wrong, and there was a lot of discussion about multiple dates and plans? The simple response I got was, yes. So where does that come from? Forgive me for putting a preposition at the end of a sentence. From where does that come? How do you write that story? How does somebody who, assumedly, was on the call give that information to a media outlet who then writes a story that is patently, at every single turn, wrong? How does that happen? I I don't know the... I'm kind of just throwing that question out there because I don't know the answer to it. My guess would be the source was not um, somebody on the call, that they talked to somebody who talked to somebody who was on the call or even had another layer to that, and things got lost in translation. But there has to be some common sense that goes along with it. This is a little bit more of an exotic example, but like when Adam Schefter put that out there about Condoleezza Rice being in the mix for the Browns head coaching gig, uh, like clearly someone was having some fun with Schefter, but... like. There's got to be some common sense involved before you put stuff out like that out there. Plus, I imagine if it was something this far out there, if you had checked with the second uh, source uh, to corroborate it, I bet they would have found out what we're talking about right this second. Just a hunch. All right. So somebody sends us on the ceasefire text line. Okay, I'm not trying to be flippant here, but who has debunked the story besides you, Richard? I neither know nor care. If anybody else on planet Earth has debunked the story. I have spoken to three people who know every detail of the call who said, it's not true. That's not double-checking your sources, that's triple-checking. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will take a little bit lighter turn after that to uh, begin the show. I do want to wrap this up, though, 
by saying there was a point to what I said, I want to echo what I said at the beginning. Kentucky Sports Radio is a pretty incredible entity. They are massively popular in the state of Kentucky. Matt Jones, despite his political leanings, which rub a lot of people the wrong way and a lot of a lot of people like, um, is really really good at his job. They do a great job Kentucky uh, covering basketball in the state of Kentucky. They're just wrong on this story, and that's okay. Sometimes you get it wrong, but to be this massively wrong, I, I guess they were just lied to. Or somebody wanted to make something true that just wasn't true. I, I don't know. So anyway, the the reason that I wanted to spend a couple of minutes on that to start the show today is this. I just want to say that the four of us, and really beyond the four of us, I mean, it's a, it's a company thing. It's a Super Talk Mississippi Telesouth Communications thing, but I'm only talking about specific to this show. Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, and me. In terms of reporting, we have worked really, really hard to build your trust. And if we report something, it's accurate. Is it 100% accurate 100% of the time? I don't know. My guess is if we're in this business long enough, we're probably going to miss on something. We're probably going to mess up on something. But it won't be because we had a single source story and we just decided to throw something at the wall to see if it sticks. It's not how we operate. It's not how we're going to operate. And if any of these guys decide to start operating that way, we're going to have problems. But that's not how we go about it. I tell you, Rippy, you, you can testify to this. You and I like, were yelling at each other on the phone one day because you wanted a secondary source for something that I told you was going to happen. You're like, are you sure? Are you sure? I was like, print it! It's real! Go with it! I mean, like, that's a real conversation that we had one day. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, uh, I, like, you just wanted, like, I felt like there was one more base to cover. You felt pretty confident about it. It wouldn't have been wrong either way, but, like, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't, like, loosely, I guess, passed on information as this appears to be. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, fine line well, to walk. It, yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, and I appreciate, you know, the way you handled that as well, because you wanted to be right more than we wanted to be first. Uh, it wouldn't have so been anyway. wrong either way. Yeah, no, that's true. But in, it was like in the long run. But it's not like it's not like we had one person on that like say, "Hey, this is what's happening," and then it went, you know, just vomited onto a uh, a word doc and then into a story. Like to your point, a lot more goes into it than that. Yeah. So, all right, what's up, boys? <laughs> Borky, what's the poll question? Oh, <laughs> uh, what's going on the grill this weekend? It's going to be my Friday poll question, maybe forever. I think my favorite part of that whole segment, Richard, was that I had no idea the story had even happened. <laughs> you gave it more attention than so, I had had so prior what, to this. What are the takeaways from this call? I didn't even know it existed. Then? So, like, what is there anything that we need to know that actually happened on this call? Well, time out for a second. Okay, Rippy, hey, Dad, if you guys would open your computers before 2.55 when we go on at 3.06, you probably would see some of these stories that are floating around out there. This this guy, this guy is talking to me about being on Twitter. This guy is doing that. <laughs> I admittedly, like, yeah, not gotten on Twitter I don't today. follow Kentucky Sports Radio, so I don't know. I yeah. think I actually do. Um, Must be nice not to have to work all day, gentlemen. Hmm. 
I hit the ball great on the backside. Yeah, see. That a boy. That's. Mm. That a boy. He's practicing for that match that's on the horizon. On, on sorry, the other side our, of the coin, try getting Michael Borky to answer a text six oh one p.m. Oh yeah, that's not happening. I know. What what did you say again, Hayden? I said try get Michael Borky to answer a text past six oh one p.m. sometime. See if, All that, right, so, if you can make so, that happen. So so while we're airing laundry, <laughs> do you know anyone? Like literally, do you know anyone? who has a smartphone that they use regularly. So, you know, Samsung Galaxy S whatever or an iPhone whatever that doesn't have email set up on their phone. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not completely fair because do you, any of y'all have the your like uh, your super talk email on your phone? No, I, I do. don't. I do. Yes. Okay, so I need to figure – I have all my other emails that I've ever used on my phone, but I have not figured out how to convert the Super Talk to it. So I'm actually in Borky's camp here, although any other excuse, Borky is just out of control. How do you not have email on your phone? I, I Well, I have Gmail on my phone, but that's mostly uh, just for the, the newsletters that I get every day. Uh, so uh, here's some inside baseball. I subscribe to probably a, a dozen newsletters now, uh, sports-related. And I check those first, I mean, while I'm laying in bed every morning. That's the first thing I do when I wake up, especially now because the kid's still sleeping. we got to go wake him up. So there's like a 15-minute window where I get to be with myself for a little while. And uh, I'll open newsletters to see if there's any, like, hard-hitting, like, breaking news that happened overnight that I need to start working on for this right away and reading up on. Um, so that's really the only reason why I have Gmail on my phone. Other than that, I don't... I only want to check email when I'm at my computer, and that's it. I don't want to receive one. I don't want to check for it, except for when I'm at my computer, and that's it. If you want more than 15 minutes to yourself, just start spacing out your bathroom trips better. <laughs> this guy doesn't even have kids, and he knows that. My God. <laughs> I, I literally said to Borky one day, did you not read that email? He's like, what email? What email? I said, <laughs> I said the, the email that we got from our bosses. He's like, no. I said, Borky, pick up your phone and check your email. And he said, I, I don't have email on my phone. Oh, my God. I said, why not? He's like, I tried to set it up one time and couldn't figure it out, so I just skipped You're it. getting me in trouble here. A newsflash. We have IT people in our company who That's are more than up. happy, more than willing to help you Richard, go through the process of adding and you work a in the company email them. account to your phone. You're telling on me here. Work with I, them here. I, man, it's been working for me for, oh my gosh, I've been here for six years. It's been working for me for six years. Well, it's over now. It's over. Now they know that uh, like I'm just being defiant and I'm going to get email on my phone like Monday morning. Borky? The um, the coach about accountability clause, that's you right now. Just because you can uh, prove blissful <laughs> ignorance does not mean you're not responsible. Uh, but I've never like missed an email that was immediately important so far. Anyway, it, like most of the time, if something's pressing, like they will, whoever it is, will pick up the phone or send a text message like, "Hey, I need you in this building you right now." You shouldn't have or, to do that. <laughs> Maybe not, but but that's how that's how it's happened so far. Because here here's why I say you shouldn't have to do that. Because you, in conversations with me, 
have talked about the frustration that goes along with the text message that says, hey, did you get my email? Well, yeah, that's crazy. But part but of that's the, altogether necessary if somebody's sending you an email. Yeah, I also have an issue with replying. Like, if, if somebody sends me an email, you text do. message, whatever, that is just information. That it's only information, like, I need to know, and I, I just, like, I consume it, and then I don't respond because, hey, I got it. I need to respond and say, hey, thanks, but really, like, now that you've sent me that message, I got it, and so I will, like, move forward with that information, and I don't reply. It's a really bad thing to do, but it's a habit. All right, put it, yeah. put, put it on Morky the poll. Put it on the poll question. The uh, podcast on, time every day. Response once every six days. I'm just going to start sending him, like, shots fired, bleeding. Just see if I ever well, get Well, see, but back. I'll respond to that. But when you say, hey, let's record at 9 tomorrow, I just I, I see that, and I think, okay, I will be ready at 9 o'clock just tomorrow. Just send back a thumbs-up emoji or That's something. That's it. For God but that, but that, that rustles my jimmies, man. I can't. Maybe a little when, surfboard when people guys? like... <laughs> When people like a message or like do the little thumb, not the emoji like where you have to type it in and send it, but where they like the message, I, that drives me crazy because That's it a makes confirmation. But though. it makes my phone go off and I open it. And you didn't say anything. You just put a little Turn thumb the next to my message. Off. I thought I, I thought I had my notifications off, but when that happens, like I don't mind getting my phone buzzed when someone texts me, but when you just like like my message, I don't want that to buzz me. It's pretty simple. It's three clicks. It's double tap with your thumb, tap the thumbs up emoji. Now I know you have actually seen the message. You realize that it's content there. I will text Borky things all the time. Nothing but radio silence, and so I am left to wonder, did he get it? Well, you never have to wonder, because I got it. It's just, I forget. Then respond! I sent you a few to try out for size. That first one's a unicorn. Oh my gosh, you sent me a unif uh, unicorn kissing a heart. Thank you. Oh. Confirmation. I like Billion that third Ocean one. Springs says, Borky, how lazy can you be? Yeah, if only that's what I was. I feel like I'm a bundle of energy now hearing all this. Maybe, maybe Billy, you should rephrase that. Borky, how rude can there you be? There it is. I'll take that. Lazy's not something I'll accept. All right, Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. By the way, half an hour from now on the Farm Bureau phone line, I'm going to spend some time with Neil Price, the radio play-by-play -play voice of Mississippi State Athletics. We'll be right back. The rumors and the stories of my past I can't Step away from the sports conversation, although there hasn't been a ton of sports conversation so far today, in fairness. Um, and also, in fairness, put, there hasn't been a ton of sports, so, you know. <laughs> Uh, also true, yes. Um, but no, putting on a, uh, a much more serious hat just for a minute. You may have seen the, uh, the news stories that are floating around. Pretty scary incident earlier this afternoon in, uh, in Oxford. There was um, an incident, I guess would be the best way to describe it, that occurred just south of town on, uh, on South Lamar between Azalea, Drive and the Oxford Farms development. Um, if you're familiar with that part of Oxford, it's where the, the Hooper Hollow house complex is and then the, the new development where there are multiple doctor's offices and apartments. So kind of that part of Oxford going south away from town. Um, Hunter Carlston was a suspect 
in the murder of James Saratelli in Smithville, Arkansas, back on May 7th. There was a heavy police presence and U.S. Marshal presence that was attempting to, at least as I understand it, apprehend uh, Mr. Carlston. And according to a combination of a news story and some information that I've been able to gather, uh, there was a statement from Bob Clark, who is a U.S. Marshal, and he reported that uh, Carlston, the suspect in the murder from May 7th in Arkansas, was killed uh, in the shooting. Bob Clark, the U.S. Marshal, said that marshals approached Carlstrom and a brief chase ensued until Carlston jumped out of the vehicle that he was in and began shooting. There is a U.S. Marshal from North Mississippi who was shot twice. I am led to believe that it was in the stomach area. He has gone through surgery, has got some serious injuries, has probably got some recovery time in the hospital, uh, but is currently stable, and his prognosis is good. Carlstrom's wife was in the car as well. She was arrested at the scene, but no details were released about her role in any of the incidents. You had the Oxford Police Department along with U.S. Marshals and the East Arkansas Task Force at the scene of the uh, incident today, uh, bringing that to an end. So th there was... Yeah, this was around 1 o'clock, maybe a little bit earlier in the day when all of a sudden this news started kind of spreading in wild, like wildfire. You, you live in a small town and everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? There's a huge police presence down on South Lamar, uh, you know, south of where you turn off for the hospital. And there were about 15 um, law enforcement vehicles. Uh, the road was closed off in both directions. Uh, there were people that uh, were close to where the incident happened that talked about hearing the gunshots. Uh, so kind of a scary scene. Uh, certainly thankful uh, that the uh, U.S. Marshal in question uh, what, did not lose his life. Um, kind of a tragic scene all, all the way around, but uh, a tip of the cap to uh, law enforcement uh, from Oxford, from North Mississippi, from East Arkansas, from everybody that was involved uh, with this, uh, that there was not any more significant loss of life. I mean, you, you start thinking about you know other traffic and stray bullets and passersby and you know workers that might be in the area because you got a construction zone that could have been really really bad and really really ugly in a hurry. And uh, law enforcement did a great job um, not allowing it to uh, to get to that point. So that's just kind of an update on that news story. If any more uh, information emerges. Uh, we will pass that along to you, but uh, if you'd kind of heard something about that but weren't sure of the details, um, that's uh, that's where we are. That's where we are. So, and as best I could tell, the U.S. Marshals have not released the uh, the name of the marshal who was uh, was struck by multiple bullets. Uh, so I'm not going to do that here either. But it's uh, uh, somebody that you know pretty involved in the uh, community and uh, is known by a lot of people around here. So uh, certainly. Uh, hoping for a, a full recovery there, and just wanted to pass that information along. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at uh, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Unrelated, but kind of criminal news as well. Arrest warrants have been issued in South Florida 
For New York Giants and former University of Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker and also Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar in connection to an armed robbery investigation. According to Miramar Police, Baker's arrest warrant is for four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Dunbar wanted for four counts of armed robbery with a firearm. Allegedly, the incident took place late Wednesday night at a party that began earlier Wednesday evening. Baker and Dunbar are accused of stealing money and watches with force while armed with semi-automatic firearms. And the report states that Baker intentionally threatened victims with a firearm. Multiple witnesses said at one point during the incident, Baker ordered another suspect wearing a red mask to shoot an individual who was just entering the party. There are conflicting accounts from witnesses to whether Dunbar was armed, with some saying they didn't see a gun in his possession. The NFL says they are aware of the matter and would have no further comment at this time. Allegedly, this stemmed from a card game gone awry in which DeAndre Baker lost a lot of money and decided to go reclaim his lost winnings. I'm sorry, his lost money. Which isn't really how gambling works. Boy, I'd have a lot more money if it did work that way. Yeah, can I encourage you to not go with the same course of action because it's not going to end well? Yeah. The um, Dunbar and Baker are likely going to lose a whole lot more money than um, what they lost in a uh, card game, even though it was uh, alleged to be in the tens of thousands of dollars. What the heck are they doing? You know how you always talk about hand raise guy and like you I need him in the profession. I was thinking the exact same thing, hey Dad. Where was hand raise guy? Yeah, it's like, hey, you lost, but you're still worth a lot of money. Let's just uh, let's get the Waffle House and call it a night. Yeah. At some point, I just don't understand the trigger here. Like, because if there's an altercation, wouldn't you want to fight slash rob slash whatever the guy you're fighting with? Like, I just don't understand video games, whatever, let's rob the rest of the party. Where where does that transition flow? Like, is something missing here? Just want to be so, made, made whole from their losings, and that was a uh, target-rich environment, I suppose. Losings for what? I mean, I mean 2K is not game. that intense. What? Apparently there was a card game earlier in the evening in, in which they had lost tens of thousands of dollars. Forky was the initial report that they had lost in the neighborhood of $70,000 and the value of what they collected in terms of cash and watches was like 55000 I, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, I, I did as well. Uh, that, was, uh, that was the initial reporting anyway. But it, it's still just it, utterly mind-blowing. And, I read something that a couple of uh, people had to uh, claim on, the, on a police report that their uh, you know, multi-thousand dollar watches were actually fakes. Tough really? Scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, there's a disconnect, though, between I cannot believe I just lost $70,000 in a card game. What was I thinking? I have a problem. I can't ever do this again. But going from that to, no, man. 
I lost 70 grand. Forget that. I'm going back for that money. Well, how are you going to get the money? I'll let them stare down the end of this barrel and I'll get the money back. Maybe they're just trying to buy back in. How is that ever going to end well? It's just it's just not it's just not smart, you know, and that's for the most part that's what criminals are. They're stupid people who make stupid decisions. And here's exhibit A. I mean, it is sad. Baker was a first round pick, like he just finished his rookie year. I think yeah, oh, that's yeah. toast. Yeah. Money doesn't change people. In wow. some cases, opportunity doesn't change people either. I mean, it, it, but it's baffling to me. Like, the, like I mean, who, who knows what was altering the way that they were thinking at the time. I'm not accusing of anything, but I have to believe that an otherwise, you know, intelligent enough to stay in college for multiple years and get through the draft process and be in the NFL and be managing whatever massive amount of money it is that you have. You, you can't, like, just have complete rocks for brains. Not completely. There has to be some level of intelligence there to go, yep, I'm getting that money back. Nobody's. I, I'm just going to go in there with a gun. I'm going to get my money back. I'm going to steal some people's watches. Nobody's ever going to rat us out. Nobody's going to recognize us. You know, this is going to be great. Let's go. We'll just get it back like it never even happened. How do you not look at that and go, okay, I'm either going to have to kill somebody in which I'm going to end up in jail, or I'm going to be turned in, or just what a disaster. Disaster. Everything seems to be There's some college baseball news for you on a Friday afternoon. Mark McMillan, who has since 2014 been on Mike Bianco's staff at Ole Miss, was named the head coach at Charleston Southern earlier today. Started his coaching career in the year 2000 at Memphis University School, worked as a scout in the Mariners organization for four seasons, spent a year as a head coach at Crichton College, years as an assistant coach at Arkansas Monticello, a uh, couple of years, three seasons, I guess, as associate head coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, two years with Ole Miss as director of operations and in, has been the volunteer assistant at Ole Miss since uh, 2016. And, Rippy, he is not the first former Ole Miss assistant coach to get that head coaching job. Stuart Lake left Ole Miss and uh, got that head coaching job um, on good grief about a decade ago. He left... Charleston Southern in 2017 to take a position with the University of South Carolina. Uh, there have been two coaches since him, and now uh, Mark McMillan, the uh, head coach. This is something he's wanted to do. He's wanted to be a head coach uh, at Major College Baseball, and what a beautiful area he's going to to work. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know a ton about that job, but something that started developing in the middle of the week. And you know, Ole Miss has had a decent bit of continuity in the staff the last, what, from 15 on, I guess so? Yeah. when. Uh, Godwin left. It's basically been the same in terms of the three assistants. So um, it'll be interesting to see what direction uh, Mike Bianco goes to fill this. Yeah, he has traditionally, for that volunteer assistant role, uh, hired somebody that uh, has had some level of involvement with the program through the uh, through the years. Yeah, that's. It feels very former player-ish. Sure. And you know Mark McMillan was not a former player for Mike Bianco, but uh, he didn't also he he had played at Ole Miss, 
And when he initially came in, it certainly wasn't for an on-the-field coaching role. He came in as um, uh, as an operations guy and then kind of worked his way into that spot, which is something that, that Mike Bianco has done through the years. He's taken his operations people and elevated them into the volunteer role and uh, kind of moved on from there. So uh, it will be interesting to see what uh, uh, Mike Bianco does with that position. Don't they have multiple people that are in operations now? believe so yeah so anyway uh so congratulations to mark mcmillan that's uh what a beautiful part of the country to be uh to be moving to uh i guess there's probably a rivalry there between charleston southern and uh, college of charleston which has an unbelievably beautiful facility and uh, we know that baseball is a big deal in the state of south carolina borky you can attest to that right yeah um Similar to here, I would say. Obviously, you don't have the the high-end attendance numbers, but you've got two really high-profile programs in the state. You've also got another one that people don't consider high-profile that won a national championship recently and just a beautiful ballpark. And Southern Conference plays pretty good baseball. And, yeah, it's a a big baseball state. Probably, uh, you guys might disagree with this. I guess California would would actually be that. But maybe per capita, the second uh, most... Um, popular baseball college baseball state in the country, considering the volume of teams and, and how well they do? I probably would put Texas in front of California. Yeah, Texas as well. I'd probably but it's still go, up there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly with you. I mean, I'd say Mississippi and Texas and Louisiana and South Carolina. Um, I mean, I guess you might argue Florida, maybe. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it certainly means a lot. And you're talking about a state that does not have a professional sports franchise, right? They do not. Yeah. So, uh, congratulate. No, Max, a good dude. He is. Uh, he's worked really, really hard through the years. He uh, has kind of overseen a lot of the camp stuff that has happened uh, on Mike Bianco's program, and excited for he and uh, his family to uh, to get this opportunity. There was there another piece of coaching news that I intended to get to today. Uh, we'll get to some basketball news coming up uh, later in the show this afternoon. Neil Price is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up in uh, in just a few minutes. Neil's got uh, a little extra time on his hands. I was texting with him after the show last night, and uh, I was like, "You think you could join us for a couple of segments?" He's like, "You know, I'll just squeeze you into my busy schedule." Yes, I'm happy to hang with you for half an hour. Not a whole lot going on right now, and uh, so we will uh, pseudo put a microphone in uh, in front of the face of uh, Neil Price. I-, I mentioned to you yesterday the uh, the Zoom call with all 14 football announcers in the SEC, and uh, Neil was the one that kind of spearheaded at that little project. We'll talk some about that. Uh, he also has become. We-, we all have our different grilling niches or niches, if you prefer. Uh, Neil's seems to be pizza on the grill. Now, Haydad says you can't do lasagna on the grill, but pizza and lasagna are at least second cousins, right? Once removed. Once removed. So, we'll uh, we'll ask Neil if you can actually put lasagna on the grill, if he believes in that idea. That's coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes. We'll have some fun with that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey on a Friday. We'll be right back. 4 
o'clock hour with you. Jimmy Buffett kind of Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Don't forget the ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire customer inspired. Neil Price joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You know Neil. He is the football and basketball radio play-by-play voice at Mississippi State and has turned into a chef during the uh, last couple of months with his grill and pizzas. Hello, Neil. Hey, Richard. How are you? Good, man. Really appreciate uh, appreciate you visiting with us for a, a bit this afternoon. So let's start there with your uh, your grilling skills. Uh, I, I've been following the pizzas that look like they've gotten progressively better over the uh, the last couple of months. Well, they're they're round now, and that's a step in the right <laughs> direction. Uh, you know, they were kind of oblong and everything else early, uh, but yeah, you know, I I'd made the comment that I think the best thing any of us could do in in the midst of all of this is try to find ways to come out of it better than we went into it and i had had this this grill since about last labor day i guess and just hadn't had much time to use it because i mean you know how it is when when you're working in this business you're you're on the road a lot and you're traveling and when you're not traveling you're preparing and you just don't have a lot of time to do things like that and i said you know i've got time now i'm, I'm going to try to figure some of these things out and i from other people who had a grill you know similar they all raved about how good the pizza was on it. And uh, I tell you, after we've done this now for month, month and a half, I don't know that, that we'd line up eagerly to go and, and buy a store-bought pizza anymore or, or buy one out in town just because it, it just tastes so much different. But, yeah, I've enjoyed doing that. And um, I don't know that I'm better at it. But, you know, regardless of how it looks, it eats pretty good. And, and I guess that's the main thing. So, are you making homemade crust? No, I'm not that good. Um, okay. You know, they, they I was going to say, I'm really going to be impressed if that's the case. Yeah, they make them in the store now where you can get them, and, and they're the right size, and you just roll them out. I mean, they're, they're already in, in a circle for you, and you just put them on the peel, and then you load them up however you want, and, and take them and, and throw them on the stone. So. Yeah, that part makes it a lot easier, but no, I'm not I'm not near good enough to, to try and put together homemade dough. You know the thing, Neil, that's been most interesting to me and you know, it, it's been it's been cool. It's probably been the good part of what we've gone through for the last couple of months. I've been home on weekends and I've got three little ones at home and so it's like, Oh, I, I get to be a dad and I get to be a husband on the weekends. This is what people do when they finish work at, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock on Friday. They don't really think about it again until, you know, sometime on Monday. Uh, That's been kind of cool, but I certainly don't want it to last forever. Have you been able to kind of adjust to, oh, this is what people that don't work 30 or 40 weekends out of the year do? I joke that I think it's a glimpse into retirement one day if I live long enough to see that. (laughs) Um, You know, and I'm okay with it. I am. Um, I think that from a priority standpoint – it's kind of rewired how I think about things. And I do believe, I love what I do now. Make no mistake about that. But I think there was a time when 
when I thought, boy, when all this comes to an end one day, either when I've worked long enough to retire or, or I've worked long enough for somebody to get tired of listening to me, um, then I don't know what I'm going to do. And now I think that if that day came, you know, I'd hate for it to get here sooner than it needs to, but I'd be at peace with it and I'd be okay. And I just learned this. There's so many other things in the world and so many other things that you can do um, and, and just simple things, little things, going and grilling out, uh, you know, reading a good book, uh, listening to some of these old games. I've really enjoyed that. Um, there, there are things you can do to keep yourself occupied. Uh, I walk around the neighborhood and do more, more stuff like that, physical activity. I've done more of that in the last two months that I've probably done in, in, in a 60-day stretch in my life, and it's been a good thing. It's been positive. So, uh, I, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I'll look forward to getting back into football stadium when that day comes and, and being around fans again and, and, and doing games, but it's been nice to kind of catch a breath, too. You did something yesterday, and I texted you about this, and kind of what got me thinking, hey, we should would visit with Neil. You, you kind of organized, or maybe with a little bit of help, organized all 14 football play-by-play announcers on the radio side of things from the SEC in a Zoom call. And I saw your original tweet, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to listen to that. I was grabbing lunch. And I just got sucked in. And it's not like there was necessarily this massive amount of groundbreaking news but it was it was light and it was fun and it was interesting and everybody was loose and you guys went for almost two hours just kind of shooting the bull yesterday. Take me through it. Well, we could have gone a lot longer, uh, you know. And what I learned as as a guy who's not been a moderator of very many things is that when you have a group of fourteen people, any any preconceived notion you have that you're going to be able to go right down a list of topics gets thrown out the window quickly and that's no reflection (laughs) on the guys who are on the call it's just that there's a lot of people and and everybody has an interesting take on something and it just leads you down another path um where, where the idea came from i can't take credit for the idea um you know learfield img's been doing a series of podcasts that they call vocal distancing and I was on one a few weeks ago with Don Fisher, who's uh, the longtime voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, um, with Andy Demetra, who's you know one of my contemporaries, roughly my age yeah. in, at Georgia Tech, and, and then Adam Witten, who was the moderator, who works in Winston-Salem uh, for Learfield IMG, but also does football at Appalachian State. And, uh, you know, it was just an hour of us sitting there shooting, shooting the breeze, and in the back of my mind, I thought, what if we got all the SEC guys together? And I kind of tossed that idea out to Tom Bowman, and he goes, yeah, I think it's a good idea. And originally, it was going to be the 11 guys that were under the Learfield IMG umbrella. But I knew Tom Leach very well at Kentucky because I worked with him for 12 years. I've known Andy Burcham for the better part of 15 years at Auburn. And I know Chris Blair because he came into the league shortly before I did, and we talked a lot about, you know, before I came here, uh, you know, the possibility of maybe going to Georgia Southern to replace him. And the more that I Hmm. thought about those three guys, I said, you know, it'd be really cool if we could get all 14 together. And I didn't know if it ever happened before and still don't know if it has prior to yesterday, but I know it's rare. 
And Tom Stipe over at Alabama, who's been working with their crew for a long time, Tom had sent a picture uh, to me and I think all the other broadcasters not too long ago of the 1984 meeting of the SEC broadcasters in Nashville uh, that John Ward organized. And I just thought, how cool would it be to get everybody, quote, in the same room? And we were able to do it. And it was really, really cool to me for no other reason than to say that we were all together and we got to enjoy telling stories for, you know, hour and 45 minutes. And I'd love to do it again in smaller groups where we could get into more discussion about things. But it was one of the coolest things I've been a part of in a long time, uh, just because we all had time to do it and everybody was willing to do it and seemed excited about doing it. Neil Price, who is uh, the voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs on your radio, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. we got a couple of minutes till the break, and then we'll talk in, until the bottom of the hour. Neil's agreed to spend a couple of segments with us. You mentioned Andy Demetra when you were talking a second ago, and that kind of took me down like memory lane. Neil, for people that want to get into the broadcasting business, and, and I think there are a lot of people that are out there, like, you know, that are college age or maybe even high school or maybe that's a dream they've held on to. Women's basketball broadcasting, and, and those gigs are harder to get than they used to be, especially in the SEC, is a road that a lot of people have gone down and have ultimately ended up in bigger jobs. My, my path has been different because I'm not doing radio with football and men's basketball, but I've done more TV stuff. You're now a lead broadcaster. Andy Demetra is at, at South Carolina. David Kellum did women's basketball at Ole Miss years and years and years ago. And I'm sure there are a number of others who kind of got their start there and have been able to progress through their careers. Yeah, Bob Kessling did lady ball basketball for a long time uh, prior to taking over for John Ward. Um, That's right. Andy Burcham, at one time, Andy was the longest tenured uh, of the women's basketball announcers in the SEC, I think prior to having to step in and fill Rod's shoes, he was he was yep. the longest tenured in that group. So, yeah, there have been a bunch of us, and you know, I don't know that I have a clear answer. I can tell you from my personal experience, it helped. Neil, me. let me interrupt you just for a second. We're, we're up against a break. I don't I don't want to okay. cut you off mid sentence. I apologize for that. We'll take a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming on SuperTalk.fm. We're visiting with Neil Price on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll be right back. More with Neil Price after this. Continuing our conversation with Neil Price, the voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs on the Farm Bureau phone line. Neil, thanks for being patient and hanging with us through the, the break. Before we had to break away, you are kind of talking about the, the path of going from women's basketball announcer to, you know, you're in the, the lead chair at a school in the SEC and uh, there are a lot of people that would would like to figure out how to, you know, navigate that road themselves. I started to tell you is you know it worked for me. Um, it's worked for others. I don't know that that means it's it's cut and dry that if you go do this, it's going to happen. Everybody's path, I think, is different. But I'll tell you the the advantages for me outside of. The, the repetition and doing the games in, in a in a league like the SEC, it's the opportunity to meet people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was at Kentucky 
Uh, and I also did baseball, by the way. And there was a guy coaching baseball named John Cohen when I started doing the games in 2005. <laughs> I think it's more than a coincidence, okay, that I work for a guy named John Cohen now, who's the athletic director at Mississippi State. Um, so did that help? Absolutely. Um, you know, you go to the SEC tournament and you meet other people. Um, it, the baseball thing to me with regard to, you know, maybe earning some respect and, and building relationships with the other guys that are the lead announcers was real valuable because there are still a lot of guys who do all three sports. Uh, and, and that was, you know, that was great. Uh, and then the other thing is, I think as you network, you get people that become advocates for you. Um, and, and have your back on a lot of things. And for me, that guy's Bob Kessling. Uh, I met Bob 20 years ago, and, and I said this in, in our podcast earlier in the week. If someone would have told me 20 years after meeting Bob Kessling at a broadcasting camp in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, as a sophomore in junior college, that we would still, number one, speak on a regular basis, uh, be friends, and that I would be, you know, in a, in a similar role to the one that he's in. I don't think I would have believed it, but that's how it happened. Uh, so the thing I would tell anybody who wants to be a broadcaster, it's all about reps, and it's about making connections and networking with people. And, and the thing I think about in this state in particular, there are a ton of high schools, and you've got the junior college system. I did junior college basketball for two years. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I did two basketball games, uh, you know, on two nights a week for two years. And the amount of improvement and the, and the edge I got on other people for jobs early, right out of college, was in large measure because I was able to do that for two years uh, and nobody else did. I think those two things in this state can be huge advantages for anybody who wants to do this. Yeah. So many opportunities on Friday nights for high school football as well across the state. I mean, that's kind of how it started for me. I, uh, I guess my senior year of high school, I, I, after my senior year, I graduated from Oxford High School, and then the following year started uh, doing radio broadcasts locally uh, for Oxford and Lafayette High School. So, uh, and David you know, the funny did thing Miss is, baseball when he was in high school, right? I think David did. He, he absolutely did Miss baseball when he was a senior in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I, and the thing, I think I'll say this too. You know, not to interrupt you, I say this too though. And, and you know, we live in a different time now. But I heard Mike Leach talk about this earlier today with regard to football coaches, and I think it also applies to, to people who are trying to, to get a break in, in broadcasting. You got to do some things early in your career for very little or no pay. I got paid. I remember doing high school games as a 16 year old while I was still in school. Uh, traveling with a team, and my pay was a pregame meal at Luby's Cafeteria in the College Square Mall in Morristown before the game. I got a certificate. That's what. That's how I, I, I got paid the first two years that I, I was doing games. You know that that's what it is, and I believe if you'll take it seriously and that you'll you'll go through that experience and you'll just be happy to do it that you'll find out as you get better, people will pay you to do it, and they'll gladly pay you to do it. Um, that's the part that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, I think, for some people. But, you know, I look back on it now, and I think, man, if I wouldn't have done that, and I would have just said, no, nah, I'm going to hold out for somebody to pay me minimum wage, um, I, I might have still been 
years down the road from being ultimately where I wanted to be. You, you know, Neil, I, I think I can – I did better than you, but not by a lot. I, I, I want to say that $65 a game was the rate, but there was a really glamorous piece to it as well. So, so this would be on a Friday night where if it was a road game, if it wasn't at Oxford or Lafayette High School – you know, we might be going to Tishomingo County or to Hernando or somewhere like that. And so we would meet at the radio station at 3 o'clock. And you know how hot it is early in the season during high school football. And we would climb yep. into a white, probably 1988 model Chevrolet Econoline van that was one of those panel vans that had no air condition. And at the time, that very first year, it was Gary Darby and me that were working together and we would head out on the road and bump and bounce our way down the road and haul in radio equipment, and it absolutely is one of the greatest experiences of my life and wouldn't change it, trade it for anything. Uh, there, listen, it's great being in the SEC, and, and it's, a, it's been a dream for years for me to do that. But there are moments when I sit, just because of the, 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 the enormity of, of what this monster is, um, I remember early on sitting at Davis Wade Stadium, getting ready to do one of those games in 2017, that first year, and I thought, man, I'm I'm three years removed from sitting at you know George Rogers Clark High School in Winchester, Kentucky, excited to be there for Clark County and Montgomery County in the Rec Bowl, and and just thought how much fun I used to have riding around with Hayes McMakin, who owned the station, Graham Johns, who did the games with me, and Len Mid. And how much we just cut up and had a good time because there was no pressure. There was no pressure. You just went and did the game and you did the best that you could and people appreciated the fact that you did it. And, you know, there are times that I miss that. Um, this pays much better, certainly. Uh, you know, and, and it's, fun <laughs> to be, it's fun to be, yeah, it's fun to be in these big stadiums and see these iconic places. Um, but there are things that are just different. So what I tell you is if, if you're working your way up, if you're in one of those spots now doing a high school game, doing the junior college games, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the opportunity to build relationships with people. That will change as you come up the ladder uh, because there's such a demand placed on the time of the people that you work with, the coaches you work with. You can't just walk into an office. Like when I was in junior college games, I could walk into a coach's office any day, sit down and say, hey, how are you doing? And just have a normal yep. conversation. That's not the real world at this level. Um, so enjoy the ride. It, it, it's, it's a lot of fun if you'll let it be and just be where your feet are for a moment and, and really enjoy that. Uh, because once you leave it, you, you, know, you, just, you never really go back to that, I don't think. Neil Price on your radio is the voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs football and basketball. I'm not going to ask you to do this with your money. I am going to um, figuratively hand you a crisp $100 bill right now, and you have to make a wager, either yes or no. Mississippi State is playing football in Davis Wade Stadium on September 5th. It's not coming out of your pocket. you got to bet $100 one way or the other. Which way are you going? My gut right now is no. Okay. Now, I'll qualify that by saying I do think they'll play this fall. But I base that simply upon we're midway through the month of May and there's not a team in the league, or for that fact, in the country, 
that has had any kind of spring or is anywhere close to knowing if they're going to have any kind of organized workout. And I know that that June 1st date has been tossed around a lot, but it seems awful late in the game if they're going to start on June 1 for no word. So now I think the best you're hoping for is June 15, if it's then. And there's just still so many other things that have to be unpacked and all that to, to kind of see where you are. And then it sounds like everybody is pretty much set on it's got to be six weeks when they get everybody back to start getting them ready. So I just think the timeline makes it tough for Labor Day weekend. But I, I am very optimistic that there will be football this fall on campuses. And I know that here it would be a very welcome thing in a town the size of Starkville, I'm sure it's not any different in Oxford. I'm sure it's not any different in Hattiesburg. Uh, you know, people want to have football. They want their businesses to be open again. They want to enjoy something that they they can deem as some sense of normal. Uh, we're all human in that way. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic it's going to happen this fall, but I'm not yet sold on Labor Day weekend. Well, as long as it happens, I think we can all get on board. If it doesn't, then that's not good for anybody. Neil, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Had had fun kind of going down memory lane on some things and uh, getting some of your perspective and uh, certainly look forward to seeing you at a stadium or arena or ballpark soon. Talk to you later, bud. Glad I I could fill the air for a half hour. Good talking to you. (laughs) No. It was more than just filling the air. Neil Price on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Corky, you got your finger close to the button where you make sounders go? Depends on what sounder you want. Just making sure. So, earlier this week, you will remember that I... Semi, I didn't chastise. I just brought light to the fact that we had talked about we were going to start counting down to the start of the college football season through our 100-plus teams and 100-plus days. And so for each of the last two days, maybe for the last three days, Michael Borky has included a team that I've completely ignored (laughs) in the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. The first one was Eastern Washington. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. That's the first... When I pull up the composite schedule, the helmet schedule, that is the absolute first helmet that I see every time. Florida plays Eastern Washington on September 5th. I just can't be interested in them. Are they the ones that have the red turf? Oh, that's... Yeah. It's awesome looking to me. You like that? It's the only colored turf I think I do like. So you're not a Boise fan? No, and the problem, even with their turf, you can't see the football. That, that's my biggest issue, is the, the brown ball and the green grass stands out. The brown ball and the red grass does not stand out. And then you can wear the same color and you blend in, I don't know. But that that's the only one that I've watched and like not wanted to throw up watching. All right. Does anybody have any other colors? Uh, let's see. Central University of Central Arkansas. Arkansas. Is there's gray? It's gray and purple alternating every five yards. 
That's kind of gross. Coastal Carolina has um, that that teal uh, for their field, and that's so gross too. Contrast there, yeah. Yeah, but you've got contrast. I mean, you can see the football. Eastern Michigan, I think, is on an all-gray turf. Okay. Eastern Washington. Welcome to the Welcome. conversation. He, he, he caught up, guys. Wait, Eastern Michigan. I, no. We started out with Eastern Washington talking about their red field. I got the two crossed up. I think Eastern Michigan's is normal because I... Resident SID Adam Kuffner is an alum. Mm. Okay. So how about we do an actual team? Team number 113 on the countdown of 100-plus teams in 100-plus days. This day is bananas. E-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Number 113 on the countdown. We may not go 112, 111, 110, but this one was interesting to me. Team number 113 <laughs> is Hawaii. There's no Hawaii. Couldn't find a good enough uh, cut of their fight song, so you get Jack Johnson. Should have gone with uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow by that guy whose name I can't pronounce. All right. So Hawaii's got a new football coach, but it's not a new name in college football. Nick Rolovich, when Mike Leach left Washington State, took the Washington State job. He did a nice job there. In four seasons, went 28 and 27. He took over for Norm Chow, and there was a guy uh, that coached four games in an interim capacity, but it did not go particularly well. Uh, for the famed offensive coordinator Norm Chow, who went 10 and 36 between 2012 and 2015. And really at Hawaii, everybody has been chasing the shadow of June Jones, who went 75 and 41 in eight seasons, starting in 1999 and closing out in 2007. And it was under June Jones with the. It was the run and shoot that they were running, right? Yeah. They were running the run-and-shoot offense and were throwing it all over the place, and that's when Timmy Chang played at at the University of Hawaii, and they just put up all the massive numbers, and then nobody had been able to really replicate that success until Nick Rolovich, who is one of the most interesting characters. Washington State has had the market cornered on interesting football coaches for a while, and they got another one in Nick Rolovich. But now Todd Graham is the new head football coach. And you may remember Todd Graham kind of bounced around. Like, the reputation that he had for a while was doesn't stay in one place long at all. Was close to becoming the linebacker's coach at Ole Miss, closer than some might believe. Recently? Yes. Uh, It was... You're talking about in this past offseason under Lane Kiffin? It would have been the offseason we were discussing at the top of the show, heading into the 2019 season. No, 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 Luke, uh, under Luke. Okay, okay. So Todd Graham was the head coach at Rice in 2006. 7, 8, 9, 10, he was at Tulsa. One season at Pittsburgh in 2011, so three jobs in six years. And then he was at Arizona State from 2012 until 2017. The most famous thing to me about him at Arizona State, the most memorable thing, 
is the uh, Britney Spears microphone earpiece that he wore on the sideline. All the other head coaches were doing headsets, and he was doing the uh, the earpiece. Innovator. Innovator. Isn't and Hawaii he is... also uh, part of the Elijah Moore leg lift, like the butterfly effect from that moment uh, affected the Hawaii coaching search? Well, yeah, because it it if Moorhead loses the Egg Bowl, if Moore doesn't do that and Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl, Moorhead probably doesn't survive to the bowl game, and they probably maybe they don't make a move for Mike Leach at that point. Hmm. The butterfly Urina- effect. Urination simulation is no joke. Somebody uh, yeah. before SB Nation um, had to unfortunately furlough everybody did the connection from that moment to all of the coaching searches that it caused after it, and it, they drew it all the way to Hawaii. took like 12 jobs to get there, but they got there. Goodness. Goodness. So if things go according to schedule, Hawaii will open the season on August 29th at Arizona, and the governor of Arizona said, y'all come, you hear? In terms of pro sports, which seems to me is paving the way for college sports as well in that state. They will host UCLA in week two. Then they've got Fordham. Boy, you want to talk about a long trip. Fordham in the northeast all the way to Honolulu. Week four, Hawaii hits the road. They go to Eugene to take on the Oregon Ducks. That's on September 19th. They host Nevada and New Mexico State in back-to-back weeks. Go to Colorado Springs to play Air Force host Boise State, go to Fresno, host New Mexico and UNLV in back-to-back weeks. Then they've got to make back-to-back trips to the state of California. Here's my question, and I don't know the answer to this. When you play at San Jose State on Saturday, November 21st, and at San Diego State on Saturday, November 28th, do you make the return trip home, or do you just stay put? They're student-athletes, so they have to go home and study. I guess. I, I don't know which would be more cost-effective, to be perfectly honest. I, I was trying to think that through myself. Like, is it cheaper to fly back or what? Don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but I guess that's kind of my M.O. I wonder if Fordham reconsiders a trip like that this fall. That can't be cheap. Pro- Probably. You know, is, is is Hawaii paying Fordham what Auburn is paying Southern Miss? I mean, my, my guess is no. You know, is, is Fordham looking at that as almost like a bowl game opportunity, you know, once-in-a-lifetime deal for its student-athletes? How does that mesh with the, uh, the budget? I, I, I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, I would not be at all surprised if that didn't actually happen. Last year, Hawaii, under Nick Rolovich, was a fun football team to watch. They went 10-5. They played 15 games. They played Arizona in Honolulu and beat them. Tough for Kevin Sumlin to start the year. They beat Oregon State at home. They lost to Washington, beat Central Arkansas, beat Nevada. Big. They went to Reno and won 54-3. They lost in Boise to Boise State, lost to Air Force, beat New Mexico, 
Lost to Fresno State in a high-scoring game. Beat San Jose State 42-40. One at UNLV. One against San Diego State. One against Army. And then in the Mountain West Championship game, lost to Boise State and then won their bowl game against BYU, but that was a home game. 15-game schedule. That, um... That's a lot of football. Don't they? They always get one extra game anyway, though, right? I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah, and because of the travel restrictions and or just how difficult it is from a travel standpoint. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at SuperTalk.fm with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. So Hawaii is the first team we preview in our countdown to the start of the college football season. They are team number one thirteen on ESPN's. Power Index. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you after this quick timeout. Hey, Dad, you kind of let me down. You weren't right there with the famous alumni from the University of Hawaii. No, you're, you're incorrect in that. I had the tab open. You just never you never called on me. Sorry, I was out of practice. Uh, that's, we, we got a long way to go. Don't worry about it. Do you have your hand raised now? I'm calling on you. Sure. Uh, not a lot of – you would think there'd be more options than this, but there yeah. really aren't. I'm going to go with Larry Beal. We all know from ESPN, uh, Bo Bridges, and then it's just—I mean, I don't really recognize hardly any of these. The rest of these guys, so Bet Midler, Bet Midler, yeah, she's not showing forget. up here. She she is not showing up on my research here. Uh, I'm looking at Ranker.com, famous University of Hawaii alumni, Bet Midler, number one on the list. Hmm. I don't know then. Well, I feel like I've been uh, letting Barack down. Obama Sr. I, you know, I was, was going to bring that up, but I was waiting on you to do it, Rippy. Got it. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, both Barack Obama Sr., the father of Barack Obama, and the stepfather of Barack Obama went to the University of Hawaii. Uh, Lolo Sotoro is the stepfather. Kevin Federline's wife went there. <laughs> Jason Elam, I know we don't generally do athletes, but he spent 15 years in the NFL after being drafted in the third round by the uh, Denver Broncos. Colton Wong is a Hawaii alum. Uh, you guys like stand-up comedy. Paul Ogata, does that name ring a bell? No. Stand-up comedian and actor. Uh, Michael Savage, radio commentator, personality, author from the uh, the Savage Nation. It's a strange guy. I oh, only know one Savage, and that's Randy Savage. I feel oh, like Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Whoa, 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 whoa! Who just did a woo? I know the, for Randy I, Savage. I know the woo was misplaced. I know. What are we doing? I understand. Here? I just dropped a woo on you just because. All right. I, I mean, I like a occasional woo. I'm just saying. Yes. I'd I'm going to add a twist to this segment, and I'm just going to name a, slim a couple gym. people. One, I'm definitely not an alum. Okay. Will Ferrell, Hawaii alum. Are you sure? I no, I made that a, up. Yeah, he was a Southern Cal guy, wasn't he? If he's not, right? he's sure on the sidelines a lot to be cheering for him. I thought Will Ferrell was noted Southern Cal alum. Oh, he definitely is. I just told you I was going to make it up. Oh, okay. 
CC Sabathia? Come on. Went to Hawaii? No, 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 no. I didn't make this one up. Hmm. Wait. This may be a sign type of thing, but never showed up. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you see how much? Yeah, he graduated uh, from high school and went directly to the minors. He signed a letter of intent with the University of Hawaii to play both baseball and football. Huh. Hmm. Offensive lineman? <laughs> Maybe not back then. Did you see a columnist for the New York Post is body shaming him now because he got he lost a bunch of weight after retirement. He said it's a slap in the face to Yankees fans because all he's doing is showing off what he could have been. It's like the dude's a Hall of Famer. What are you? What are you, what are you talking about? Good with the old Yankees, <laughs> yeah. wasn't he? Come on. Uh, C Spire text line 601-879-4395. LOL. Watch the text line light up with I thought Todd Grantham was at Florida. <laughs> well played. Jeff says, uh, have you guys seen the Biloxi Sun-Herald is reporting that Conference USA and the Sun Belt could combine for the 2020 season? I have not seen that. It's creative, interesting, probably cut cost big time. I have not seen that, but uh, have actually floated that idea out there before as to whether or not it would make sense for Conference USA and the Sun Belt to combine. Maybe you got to call a little bit. But, you know, from a geographic standpoint, that would make a lot of sense. You'd be kind of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, southern part of the state of Alabama. And then there's Virginia with Old Dominion, which kind of all over the place. And then you got the South Florida and whatnot. So. Hmm. That's fascinating. I'll have to check that article out and uh, see what's there. College Football Fix is coming your way before too much longer. You want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. I got some stuff from Andy Staples with regard to questions that need to be answered between now and then if college football is to start on time. We'll do that when we come back with you on this Friday afternoon. Final hour of the show coming up right after this. Back with you, 5 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us, and welcome to the weekend. We would be getting set for Friday night baseball games on the final weekend of the regular season. They would be game twos. We would have a bunch of game twos happening all over the league. How did it go with Vanderbilt and Mississippi State last night in game one? Uh, McLeod pitched to Jim. He and Rocker, that was a heck of a pitcher's duel, but State did enough to win uh, 2-1. Mm. I would be in Nashville, right, by the way, as we were talking up here. Who, who was the hero? Tanner Allen, who's been really hot since he came back from injury, had a, uh, a RBI double in the eighth to break that 1-1 deadlock. Ole Miss still in the uh, hunt for a Western Division crown as well. Pounded out 
17 runs last night. What a night for uh, Kale Baker. Hit four home runs. I, I, I stick with two to one. You come in with 17 runs for Ole Miss. Yeah, I had well. a 25 inning scoreless tie. <laughs> Mm. Mm. 17 runs on 26 hits Alabama just waved the flag and gave the other two games to Ole Miss (laughs) which which presents a little bit of a problem because you know really Mike was kind of wanting to get his rotation in order and get guys on you know regular whatever going into postseason play but yeah some reporter asked him about that and he got annoyed (laughs) <laughs> C-SPIRE text line open to you 601-879-4395 C-SPIRE we got a lot going on right now a lot of good things happening for you including their partnership with UMMC to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C-SPIRE health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms just download the app to quickly connect with the UMMC clinician from your phone UMMC can help diagnose your symptoms and assess whether you should be tested for COVID-19 learn more at cspirehealth.com it's time right now for the college football fix Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Test drive the Ford of your choice. Maybe it's the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Great financing options in play right now. And so uh, you might be able to get into a Ford for uh, less money than you even realized was possible. Check out your local Mississippi Ford dealers or visit buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. So I mentioned the Andy Staples story. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, you know we were pointed a few minutes ago to this story at the Sun Herald that was written by Patrick McGee. He writes the possibility of realignment among the Group of Five conferences hasn't earned that much traction in recent years, but it now seems more likely than ever, with the COVID nineteen pandemic already spurring significant changes in college athletics. He pointed to the Mid American Conference, the MAC. Uh, where they are eliminating eliminating postseason tournaments for sports like baseball and softball for at least the next four years. And they plan to narrow the field for the men's and women's basketball tournaments down to eight teams. Akron in the MAC has already announced the elimination of men's golf, men's cross country, and women's tennis as it takes steps toward cutting $4.4 million from the athletics budget. Borky, I think... I think you had this in the rundown. There's a college baseball program that has already been shut down. Bowling Green. Bowling yeah. Green. And um, apparently not going to be the last. But uh, Bowling Green significant because their athletic director played baseball there and I believe is on the selection committee. So this okay. is a guy that obviously has ties to Bowling Green baseball. I imagine cares a good bit about the sport. Still had to cut it. Yeah. Um, $2 million annually they'll save by doing that. That's what it saves, and this is turning into a dollars thing for a uh, a lot of schools. Conference USA is discussing setting up more pod play to reduce travel expenses in sports like baseball, softball, and basketball. And Patrick McGee writes, the Sun-Herald has learned that the league is weighing the possibility of cutting down on league games... 
so that football programs can schedule more non-conference contests closer to home. It may also create more opportunities to schedule payday road games. It's not something that I've heard discussed, but that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, right now, everybody plays four non-conference games. They play eight conference games. If you could add two additional non-conference games and maybe drop two conference games in those leagues, you're creating significant revenue opportunities for uh, for schools that you know have budgets where they need those games to help kind of make ends meet. Does it not wash out with uh, losing home games, though? Probably not. Okay. Yeah, because the amount I, of I, money you're getting paid in a buy game is like that. A lot of times that supplies schools for a year. Okay. I'm saying like USM, surely, I mean, if they get paid a million five to go on the road somewhere, surely they can make a million, they make a million five at home playing one game, don't they? Well, if they the made the same amount of money on those, there'd be no need to go and play them. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know exactly how to do the math because I don't know what tickets cost and, you know, don't know what the breakdown is in terms of tickets that have donations attached to them versus, you know, tickets that are just being sold at face value and, for that matter, what face value is. Um, my, my assumption is buying a ticket to watch Southern Miss against UAB does not cost you the same thing that buying a ticket to watch Mississippi State against LSU costs. No, no um, doubt. So, yeah, and, and again, I, I don't know if a, a home game ticket for a, a conference game at Southern Miss, I, I don't know if it's $15 or $40 or $60. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, there was a huge push a couple of years ago to get 30000 per game at the stadium. I think they've done okay with that goal uh, in terms of early season home games, you know, in the twenty-five to 30,000 range. Uh, but sustaining that has, uh, has been an issue throughout the course of the season. So, I don't know. Um, a couple of other things from this, uh, this article with, uh, with Patrick McGee at the Sun-Herald. He says, for the group of five conferences that don't bring in millions of dollars in TV money, Life may return to simpler times when cable networks didn't call the shots for conference expansion and realignment. Revenue from TV contracts has dried up in recent years, leaving less of a hurdle if conference officials sit down to iron out a realignment plan. The Sun Belt and Conference USA both draw about $500,000 per school from their multimedia deals, and the two leagues seem a good fit for realignment. What's the value in plating Florida International or UTEP when there are multiple programs in the Sun Belt that would be much better regional rivals for a program like Southern Miss. Conference USA stretches from El Paso to Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia, and he writes that it appears more outdated by the day, points out that the Sun, Sun Belt is a little more compact, but you've still got 1,200 miles separating Texas State in San Marcos to Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. I mean, think about it from the standpoint of if you took Southern Miss and South Alabama and Troy and UAB 
and then you looked at the Sun Belt. Maybe maybe other schools would would fall into that. But then you looked at the Sun Belt and you said, okay, ULM, Louisiana Lafayette. Um, there aren't any other Sun Belt teams in Louisiana. You said South Alabama, but that's a uh, they're that's in the a Sun, Sun Belt. Belt I'm team. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. They're in the Sun Belt. But they fit geographically in yeah. that mix. Oh, yeah, they, no, they, they would definitely fit. Yeah. As does Troy. Yeah. And UAB. Yeah. You would add Arkansas State. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would be geographically in the same area. Maybe University of North Texas, which is right outside of Dallas and Denton. I mean, I, I think there's a combination of schools there that would make a lot more sense. Now, do you leave a bunch of schools just sitting on the on the sideline? Do you keep Rice with Houston? Yeah, maybe so. So between Conference USA and the Sun Belt, there are 24 schools, and Patrick writes that they could easily be split into two 12-team conferences or three eight-team conferences. Um, Former Commissioner Carl Benson in the Sun Belt, who led the conference from 2012 to 2019, says that he's always believed there's too much overlap between his former league and Conference USA. He says, I still firmly believe that North Texas and Texas State and UT San Antonio need to be in the same conference. Louisiana Lafayette and Louisiana Tech need to be in the same conference. Southern Miss and South Alabama need to be in the same conference. That's the same for Troy and UAB and Charlotte and Appalachian State. So you might be able to work something out where you could kind of put all of those teams together and have it make a little more sense and be a little more fiscally responsible from a travel standpoint and come up with a really competitive league. Interesting thought. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on on this Friday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. What was that last name? Brian Haydad. Ryan Scott Rippey. Some football news at Mississippi State today. Uh, Stuart Reese has entered the transfer portal, has started all but five games for the Bulldogs over the last three seasons after redshirting in 2016, started every game at right tackle as a freshman in 2017, as a sophomore in 2018. Played primarily at guard last year. Eight starts, played in 11 games. Hey, Dad, what's the uh, what's the story here? I don't know if you saw my eyebrow raise. That happened yesterday, and so when you said news today, I was like, what the heck did I miss? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. It's just like, I'm going to lose my job here, Richard. Uh, no, no, you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the rumor had come out from a Florida message board. A, uh, a few weeks ago that this was going to happen, and there's a little bit of smoke, and it just sort of built and built and built, and here we are. And that's the the, the rumored and possible uh, landing spot is for him to reconnect with Mullen and Hevesy down at Florida. His brother David is a defensive back on the team there. So, you know, there was a lot of, of message board chatter. Oh, tampering, tampering. Well, the guy's brother is on the team at Florida. We can't really prevent them from talking to each other now, can we? So, uh, possibly that's where he's going to end up. It, it seems like that's where, where he's headed. You know, good player. Um, you know, had sort of lost his starting job a season ago, but I, I, I had penciled him in as a starter, uh, in a, you know, any kind of way too early depth chart I was going to put together. Uh, if nothing else, you know, he's, he, it's definitely a big depth piece for Mississippi State on that offensive line. So in terms of, 
retooling the offensive line. There's some work to be done, huh? And obviously Darrell yeah. Williams was the anchor, and he's no longer there. And you see Stuart Reese no longer part of it. Is there anybody else on the offensive line that doesn't return from last year? Uh, Reese, uh, Tyree Phillips, obviously, drafted into the NFL. He's playing for the Baltimore Ravens. And Tommy Champion, who sort of took over for uh, Reese at that guard spot uh, later in the season, is gone. So State, yeah, State's going to have some new faces on the O-line. Uh, they've got a lot of, of talented guys in terms of what they were as recruits. You know, a bunch of they got. You know, both their tackles should be four star, five star guys this year, um, and of course, you know, they're, they're changing what they want from an offensive lineman. You know, the past decade has been about having big road graders out there to run that power running scheme. Now you're changing things up a little bit. So I think they have some talent there, and I, and I like especially the interior. I think they've got some good guys there, but you know, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting position to watch. And of course, you know, I mentioned the five star, the only one on the roster, Charles Cross. Who's the number two offensive lineman in the country his senior year? Uh, you know what has he become this year? I think as a five-star kid, you sort of had that expectation for him. Okay, you redshirted. Now it's your time to shine. I I expect him to you know get the uh, the first look at left tackle, but we'll see how he does out there. I'm trying to think, and I mean, you pointed it out. So you go from road grader to. I mean, is there a definitive body type or skill set that you think is necessary in Mike Leach's offense? I mean, so much of the time, the ball comes out quickly. Yeah. And so, so I think you need to have maybe quicker linemen, guys who can just get up out of there, you know, get up and get their hands out quickly. And it's, it's, it's not as big a deal if you're not, you know, 350 pounds. You can be 295, 300. And, and still be effective in this offense, I think. Yeah, interesting stuff. Rippy, there was uh, transfer news on the Ole Miss front, but it's incoming as opposed to outgoing, and it's on the basketball front. Romello White, who was on Bobby Hurley's Arizona State team last year that won 20 games, averaged 10 points and almost 9 rebounds per game. That's a pretty big pickup as a grad transfer that is eligible immediately for uh, Kermit Davis's team. Yeah, he played predominantly the five there, but considers himself more of a four, I think. And uh, I actually watched this kid play quite a few times this uh, this winter. He's a good player, but I mean, I think you're seeing a theme here. He's long, which will help in that one three one zone, and he is tough, and he will help uh, their uh, insu- insufficiencies. I guess they had. Did I just make up a word there on the glass? Nice. But yeah, the some uh, people would go with deficiency. You went with insufficiency. De- <laughs> I can't talk today. But yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is a nice pickup. I think he's going to start. I think he's going to be a big piece for this team next year. This was a, uh, big day for Kermit Davis. Um, you're kind of starting to see, uh, what, what his preferences are. I mean, like he's kind of, seems like he's, he's generated most of his offense and most of his scoring through the backcourt the first couple of years, but that was more based on what was already in the cupboard. And now you're kind of seeing the classic Kermit Davis, uh, four man, not, not, didn't really have any traditional centers, but your classic forward that he's used for so many years at middle. His usage rate at Arizona State is mind-blowing to me. I mean, this is like how Mike Krzyzewski used Zion at Duke in the NCAA tournament. The guy's making 57% of his shots. He's only getting 10 points per game. That doesn't add up. He and that other kid, uh, who's the guard that they had? I was, you I watch was a bunch of college just looking hoops. it up. It's um, uh, Rudy... Is that right? No, 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 no. I, I'm just blanking here. Um, 
but yeah, I, I those think, two were kind of. I was of, actually in the process of looking go. that up as you were as you were mentioning it. Uh, I'll get the name for you in just a second. They were Remy Martin. Yes, Remy Martin had, had the big hair. Sure. No, he did. He's like he was the guy that had the hair that like poofed straight up on top of his head. I felt like when you watched Arizona State play, those were the two guys. Like like it ran through Remy Martin. He was the guy that had the ability to go for forty. But then Romello White was kind of the other player that uh, that jumped out at you. He is uh, originally from Atlanta, and uh, pretty important piece uh, for um, for Arizona State. Let's see, he's just kind of looking year by year. So we're looking at his number. Eh, I don't have his career number. There we go. So last year averaged 10.2 and 8.8. As a sophomore, he averaged 9 and 5, and as a freshman, 10 and a half and 7. So, I mean, it's been pretty consistent production over the course of three years. Yeah, and it inadvertently helps the depth. Like next year, if you're like looking at a 5, you're probably looking at Joyner, Schuler. Ooh. Henson, Buffin. No, I think Henson and Matthew Morell are going to come off the bench. If I had to take a guess, I guess things could change there. But where are you playing Matthew Morell at this point? I think Henson probably comes off the bench. Do you kind of go big, maybe go Buffin, White, and C? I don't know. It'll be interesting. But this definitely helps their depth is the point I was trying to make. One thing that's a little bit unique about a guy like uh, Romello White, when you think about a four or a stretch four in a Kermit Davis offense, you generally think about a guy that can step out and shoot the three. Romello White does not have a single three-point attempt in his college career. So No, you would go Vaughn at the three. I don't know why I just blanked on that. Who? I think it'd probably be Schuler, Joyner, Vaughn, White, and C. All right. So Dementia Vaughn, your, uh, the kid they got from Ryder? That's right. I forgot all about him. It's your mid-May basketball update. <laughs> Check um, back for more later. Yeah. Uh, 601-879-4395 if you want to be a part of the conversation this afternoon. We'll circle back to the Andy Staples story that we referenced uh, a few minutes ago because that's where kind of a bunch of questions are being asked uh, with regard to what's it going to take to get college football back. Uh, We'll tell you this before we go to the break. Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, was on CNN last night. A couple of interesting quotes from him. Uh, Their current testing plan, if they're going to reopen, is testing multiple times a week for players using a facility in Utah – I almost said Utah, that uh, Major League Baseball helped convert to a COVID testing lab. The return time on test is 24 hours, and they will also have the capability of instant testing for any player who is symptomatic. So that's number one. The other thing that came out of that interview on CNN, Rob Manfred has, quote, great confidence will reach agreement with Players Association, both in making it safe to come back to work and the economic issues involved, close quote. He did point out that losses for the owners in the event the season is canceled would approach $4 billion. That's not $4 billion apiece, but even divided by 30 teams, you're talking about a lot of money. 
you know, even if you just average it out and you say that's five hundred million a team, you know, half half a billion a team, that's not right, is it? That'd be what one hundred and fifty million a team. That's um, it's a lot of money, even for guys that are billionaires. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Just a little while left with you on this Friday afternoon. Let's dive into this article from The uh, the Athletic. Andy Staples, kind of long form here. I mean, not long form in the sense that it's 5,000 words, but a longer story with a lot of content here. Uh, again, you got to be a subscriber of The Athletic to read it in its entirety. Um, but it's the questions that need to be answered for college football to return on time. And on time is some combination of August 29th to September 7th. And if there's a Memorial Game night, it'd be that Monday, uh, sorry, Labor Day game. That'd be Monday the 7th. Uh, we mentioned that Ole Miss likely to play Baylor if it happens as it's supposed to. will be on Sunday the 6th. You'll have the first full weekend, which is that Saturday the 5th, but it goes back. And then you've got some games, like we mentioned earlier, with Arizona um, hosting Hawaii to start the season on August 29th. So a handful of games in what would be, I guess, referred to as Week 0. So whatever your definition of on time is, those are the questions that um, Andy Staples is answering. And I don't know that we've got time to kind of give context to all of these. But here's what he's looking at. and It's some of the stuff that we're talking about as well. Will teams be allowed to gather? So, first and foremost, when can they come back to campus to gather as a team? For whatever it's worth, and it may be nothing, but um, apparently Los Angeles is comfortable enough to allow the, uh, to allow the Lakers to start practicing again. Okay, their facility uh, will open on Monday. So, if that means anything to you in this context, there you go. I don't know. I mean, doesn't the state of California have shelter in place for a while longer? Or is it just beaches that aren't opening? Didn't they extend it to like July first? Yeah, their their messaging is extremely inconsistent, uh, to say the least. And so, like the story came out about L.A. County shutting down for another three months, but then the leaders of L.A. County said, "We actually didn't say that. Here's what we said." But their context actually kind of is what. Anyway, the messaging is atrocious. But the state of California, most people assume, is going to be college football's biggest hangup, and they're letting at least a sports team start practicing again. So the SEC and the Big 12 seem to be pretty much in agreement in terms of states within the footprints of those conferences in that the states are reopening and it looks like things are kind of getting back to semi-normal. At least there's a phased reopening in, in most of those places. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma spoke out about the idea of coming back June 1st as a terrible idea said he'd prefer to wait as long as possible. His quote was, in my opinion, we need to bring them in as late as we possibly can before we play a season. Every day early we bring them in is a day we could have gotten better. It's a day we could have learned more about the virus. It's a day personal protective equipment maybe gets better. It's a day closer to a vaccine. It's a day that our testing equipment and testing capabilities get better, and it's just not worth it. So we've got to be patient. We've got one shot at this, and we've got to do it right. 
Does that actually make any sense? I was just going to say, and this is... <laughs> it sounds all novel, but does that actually make any sense? Because you're not getting a vaccine before football season. No. Uh, so, like, vaccine, no, but some of the other stuff makes sense. I mean, I mean g- given I guess, how far like, we've come in eight weeks from when this started to where we are now. This is something... that happen with the current precautions while they're practicing? The equipment could still get better whether they're on campus or not? And this is something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but there are a lot of college football players uh, who are far better off with their health and safety being on their campus versus being at home. It doesn't get talked about because that's probably insensitive to say, but that's the the truth. I mean, we had an Ole Miss player recently in a Sports Illustrated article uh, talk about that very thing, and he is absolutely not alone. Uh, a lot of these kids uh, would be better off being called to their campus probably as soon as possible versus the alternative. So that just sounds like the classic zag to sound profound, but it doesn't actually make that much sense. Maybe as honest opinion, I don't know. I just uh, the, To me, that doesn't hold up. Andy Staples asked the question, and it's another one that we've been asking, what happens if some teams can play and some teams can't? And that's one of the big questions that's out there. John Swafford of the ACC said his league has not drilled into the fine details of that potential quandary. He says, I don't know what the threshold is on that. We haven't really reached a point of having that discussion. I'm sure we will in due time as to whether it's three-fourths or two-thirds or 50% or whatever it might be. But I don't, like, uh, I don't think some schools not being able to compete necessarily keeps the majority of schools who could compete from competing but it's premature to answer that question at this point. Also, a tweet from Southern California Athletic Director Mike Bone, who's still relatively new in that job, I enjoy regular conversations with Greg Byrne, who is the Athletics Director at Alabama. We have every intention of playing our game against Alabama. I'd like to remind all our fans that this is an uncertain time and there will be much disinformation. We continue to explore every model for the 2020 football season. Appreciate him reminding us that it's uncertain times. Clearly works in in marketing for every country in America. (laughs) Well played. Uh... I guess kind of the wrap-up here from Andy Staple is if most of the teams in most of the leagues are allowed to play, then the teams that can will try to find a way to play. Yep. Too much yeah, at stake not to. Simple as that. It is, it is literally that simple. If if you can get teams to play football, they're going to do it. If they, can, if they feel at all confident, they're going to play. Simple as that. Too much money on the line to do otherwise. Can schools pull off the testing required? Is that the biggest question? I mean, the Mm -hmm. biggest question is whether or not they can get testing when they absolutely need it. Well, I think that probably is one. And then 1A is what do you do when a player tests positive? Not if, when. Yep. So with regard to whether or not the schools can pull off the 
testing. Andy Staples writes, no one is quite sure how much frequent testing will cost for a football team and staff because of the cost of the tests. For the active disease and for antibodies, that would indicate a previous infection. Uh, keeps dropping as more come on the market. One athletic director told The Athletic on Thursday he expects a six-figure cost, but he couldn't get more specific because the numbers continue to change. So that's not something that places have budgeted for. Probably not a big deal if you're a Power 5 school. If you are a school with a smaller budget and there is an unforeseen $150,000 to $250,000 expense that you got to take care of, I mean, you do it because you have to do it, but that's just another layer of financial difficulty added to a, uh, a mounting list. And you've also got to develop the protocols that go with testing. Uh, can schools get enough tests? If the capacity for testing increases over the next two months at anywhere near the pace it has over the last two months, probably so. This is an interesting number. According to COVID Tracking Project, as of March 14th, March 14th, only 32,509 Americans had been tested. Fast forward two months, as of the afternoon of May, 5th, uh, May 14th, more than 10.3 million Americans oh. had been tested. Fast forward so another in, two months? Yeah. To me, this is the biggest question. What happens if somebody tests positive? And maybe I should ask it the way I said it again. What happens when someone tests positive? The easy answer is you test everybody around him, and if he's the only negative or positive, or if there's only a couple of positives, you treat it like an injury, you isolate them, and you press on. In an interview with Peter King of NBC, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci said, he answered the question to, what might happen if four players tested positive? He says, you got a problem there. You know why? Because it's likely that if four of them are positive and they've been hanging around together, that the other ones that are negative are really positive. So, I mean, if you have one outlier, I think you might get away. But once you wind up having a situation where it looks like it's spread within a team, you got a real problem, and you got to shut it down. Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.